0: On today's show, I interview Danielle Triffitt about her journey of getting into ultra marathon running. She explains the draw that ultras have for her and what it was like to run the Western States 100-mile endurance run, which is the world's oldest 100-mile trail race. In my personal update, I'll talk about the importance of remembering to say no when you get overwhelmed by work. All right, on to that personal update. So lately I've been working on cranking out the third book in my urban fantasy series while also reaching out and setting up awesome guests for this podcast. I am definitely busier throughout the day now that I'm self-employed than I was as an employee for someone else just because like I'll work after hours when I work for myself. I do try to work in some downtime in the garden because that's kind of how I recharge by spending like an hour or so out there. But then there are definitely days where that that just doesn't happen because I have too much to do for the podcast or for writing. I just don't get out there. I say all that just to kind of show that a been pretty busy. Um, But I I recently had some folks reach out to request resumes from me because that's kind of what my main service was for Evergrowth Coach, my LLC. And I had to make the decision on whether or not to take on another task or not. If I looked at the pros and cons, like on the plus side, some of the resume requests would be as a paid service, but not all of them. And on sort of the con side, I sort of had to keep in mind that it takes me time to craft a good resume and usually involves at least one hour on the phone with the client kind of gathering information, and then an additional two to four hours of actually building the resume and cover letter. And as much as the income would have been great, I really had to go back to asking myself if accepting the resume requests would actually move me closer or further away to my goal of publishing more books and producing quality podcast episodes. And I kind of had to admit that taking on the resumes wouldn't do that. Um, In fact, since I'm slowly moving out of the specific like career coaching space, it really didn't make sense to do them at all. So I had to say, no, And that is really not something that I've ever really been able to do before moving into the self-employment realm. I've kind of always been one of those employees who kind of accepts whatever project is handed to me. And I'll reprioritize my schedule to make that project happen, even if I really don't have the time to make it happen. I'm sure many of you out there are very similar. And that's what most employers want, right? Someone who just kind of blindly accepts whatever the new task is handed to them and that the employer knows that you will get it done. Even when I shifted to self-employment, I would really take on every single resume that was sent my way. Initially, I wouldn't tell the clients no, but I did learn to let them know up front what the timeline for the completion was if I was really overloaded and couldn't produce a finished product within my regular timeline. So changing my timeline was really honestly a big deal for me and was basically a baby step to me actually learning to say no to projects. As I gained more experience on the self-employment side, I raised my prices to be closer to the market price for the resumes that I was producing. So like when I was very first starting out and some of my clients balked at the price when I changed it to be higher, but they knew that the quality of my work was really good and they continued to request my services anyway. And so I did that at that price for a little while. And then down the road, I decided to raise my prices again to meet the actual market price for resumes. And those same clients, they were not interested in paying for the quality. When they quoted a much lower amount that they were willing to pay per resume, I had to say no. And it was honestly like one of the hardest decisions that I'd ever had to make was to actually turn those clients away by not accepting the lower paying resume gigs. But it was also the right decision. Saying no to those lower paying resumes actually freed up my time to focus more on those clients who are willing to pay for quality resumes and also gave me time on the side to write a book and start this podcast. So it kind of worked out. So now I'm a little better at stepping back and assessing projects to determine if they're the right fit for my goals rather than just accepting every project that comes along. And I had to learn that it's okay to say no to projects, even if it's scary, even if it means losing out on immediate compensation, because the things that I'm saying yes to are actually more in line with my overall goals and will lead to projects that I'm proud to have completed and hopefully eventually lead to compensation more in line with the quality of my work. So have you ever had to say no to a project or turn away? Potential work because it wasn't the right fit, or maybe it didn't meet your long term goals. I'd love to hear about your experience. You can tweet me at GFO Podcast to share an experience in which you have had to say no to something. All right, on to my interview with Danielle Triffitt. On today's episode, I'll be interviewing runner Danielle Triffitt. Danielle works in the nonprofit sector and was introduced to ultra marathons through her volunteer work with Trail Monster Running. Today, I'll be focusing on her experience of getting into running ultra marathons. Welcome to the show, Danielle.
1: Thanks. Great to be here. Thank you.
0: Yeah, I'm super excited to, to chat with you. I've always dreamed about trying to get into ultra marathons, but I'm a very slow runner, so a lot of training would be uh, required for that.
1: You know, the good thing about ultras is that you seriously, like, I mean, obviously, the front of the pack people, they're just like otherworldly human, but most of us (laughs) regular, normal folks, you know, you're back here, you're like, run some, oh, it's a hill, let's walk, let's stop and eat at the aid station. Like, you don't, the good thing is you don't have to go fast. You're better off if you're just like moving along at a pace you can go like all day long. So it's, it's like a totally different experience than, you know, say like your typical road 5k or something where you might feel compelled to be like, oh my gosh, I have to push myself the whole time. Like, you don't want to do that. In an ultra, if it's longer, especially because you're like, I need to conserve my energy for, you know, anywhere between whatever you're running, like five hours to 30 hours. And that's a long time. So, long time. <laughs> you know, the pace, it just sort of goes out the window. <laughs> which is nice. So don't count yourself out. Don't count yourself out there. Yeah. I
0: can set that as maybe a long-term goal. And, and There shoot you for go. That. Definitely. <laughs> well, before we kind of jump in further, can you, can
1: you tell me a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. So I'm 45 years old, which seems really old, but I swear most of the time I do not feel that old. <laughs> I, um, I have a 10 year old daughter. I'm married to, My husband, Ryan, we met in college um, and we've been married for 20 years. And Samantha was born a day after our 10th anniversary. So she was our 10th anniversary present to each other and our (laughs) families because they had basically given up on us having children by then. And so anyways, we live on the coast of Maine. We have two cats. And yes, like you said, I work um, at a nonprofit organization in Brunswick with a Fairly flexible schedule, which is nice given, you know, family and that I like to run. So that helps too. Nice. Um, yeah. And I've been running since, I had to think about it. I've been running since high school. I ran cross country and track. And then um, Ryan and I went to Bowdoin College um, in Brunswick, Maine, which is like just across the river from where we live now. Um, and both of us ran track and cross country in college. So that was how we met and a lot of our sort of circle of friends were runners, but no one was into ultra running at that time. You know, it was Mm. just like, oh, go for like a three or five mile run, you know, or that sort of thing. So, but yeah, running has always, you know, I've done it for a long time. So
0: nice. And so we keep throwing around the term ultra marathon. What is an ultra marathon? So technically
1: I believe it's anything over a marathon distance. So over 26.2 miles, I think probably most people think of, the shortest ultra typically would be a 50K, so 31 miles. Mm. But I think technically the definition is anything over a marathon distance. Gotcha. Which is
0: a, a long run. <laughs> it's a it very is. long run.
1: <laughs> it is a long run. Absolutely. There's no getting around that. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I've, I've only done um, one marathon
0: ever. And it was one that I, like I mentioned earlier, I'm a slow runner. So it was one that had no
1: time limit. Nice. Do you ultra marathons, do they have a time limit? a lot of them do i mean i think the good thing is that like we had said earlier the recognition is that you're not going to be running all out for 31 miles most mm. people anyways so typically there's i think you know pretty reasonable cutoffs but mostly there is a cutoff for safety reasons you know wow. obviously they want to make sure you know that their volunteers are safe and the runners are safe but usually you know depends on the the race um, the terrain, obviously the distance, but typically there would be some sort of time limit, but maybe more generous than, you know, your typical road marathon, because you might be running a lot slower. I mean, just trail running in general, if it's technical, you're just going to be running more slowly, you know, than you would on, on pavement. So, mm-hmm.
0: And do ultra marathons do they tend to be more trail than on the road so to speak?
1: I know that there are road ultras, but I don't know, I've never run an ultra on the road, but mm. there definitely are, but I think they tend to be in general more trail. Just cuz it would be hard, much harder on your body to run, you know, beyond the marathon distance on a road where it's a, things are a little more forgiving if you're on softer terrain. Mm.
0: Okay. You had mentioned you had been running for a while. You ran in, you said, high school and college?
1: Yes, that is correct. Yep.
0: So then what actually made you take the leap into trying an ultramarathon?
1: I know. So it's interesting. So I ran two road marathons in 2006 and 2008. And so that was before we had Samantha. She was born in 2009. And one of the other things that we did, which you may not know about, or you may, if you've been poking around, but possibly not, So we also, when we were 30, we were living over in Mount Washington Valley in New Hampshire, and we had been doing lots of backpacking over there. You know, we were doing the 48, 4,000 footers, which is basically a list of all the peaks that are above 4,000 feet. And oh, nice. in New Hampshire, and there are basically, you can complete it, you can submit that you've completed the list, you can take as long as you want, you know, some people do it within a calendar year within a certain season, we, we weren't doing that, but we were using that sort of that list as a um, just like, oh, different places to explore and then you turn in the list. And you, they did a little ceremony. You got a little patch. Anyway, so we spent, we were spending a lot of time in the mountains and outside, but more doing hiking and backpacking. Ryan at the time was not running. He took like a big chunk of time off of running. Um, he was maybe a little more competitive in college and subsequently more injured than I was. Mm. So he just was like, I'm done for a little Mm. bit. But anyways, eventually, when we were 30, we quit our jobs, we sold our house, and we set out to hike the Appalachian Trail. That's awesome. This was 2005. So we started in Georgia, and we got to Massachusetts in about four months. And Ryan's back basically had given out on him by that point. So we stopped. um, And then over the next three years, we sort of Ticked off the rest of the northern pieces and finished with the 100 Mile Wilderness in Canton in 2008. Wow, that's awesome. I think that ultra running in a way sort of came from that, but it also came from our introduction to trail monster running. Mm. Um, we ran our first race with them in 2007, um, which was the first race they put on the Bruiser that year. And so there were a lot of, you know, some of the trail monsters were running these big distance races and it seemed crazy at the time, but. There's something about, for me anyways, about being out in the woods for a long time. Um, And I recognize that it doesn't have to be, you know, for a hundred miles, but (laughs) there's something about being out in the woods for a long time. You know, once you've gone a certain distance or for me anyways, you know, my mind sort of quiets, you're just taking it all in, you know. There's beautiful things to see. There's a little bit of suffering, but, you know, it's all good. Right. So in a way, Ultra is sort of parallel some of the, you know, the through hiking and the big backpacking that we did. Just, you know, you're out there. And, you know, you don't have the distractions because you're just sort of immersed in it. So I do feel in a way that our time as backpackers and through hikers and then section hikers as we finish up the trail sort of, you know, so running in the woods for an hour. Ah, no big deal. Like we did that for months at a time, you know, in a right. different sense. We were walking, of course, but and yeah, and then we met this group of people, the Trail Monster you know, running group, and they were all doing these crazy distances. And eventually you fall in with a group like that. And you're like, Oh, why not? You know, what the heck? Let's see what happens. <laughs> you know, but I will admit Ryan ran an ultra first. Uh, and okay. so I my first attempt at an ultra and I say attempt because I DNF was in 2010 at Pineland Farms, I was going for the 50k. And so Sam was only Six months old, and I was still nursing her, and I just, oh, I just, to- it was a disaster. It was like at like mile twenty one, I was like out in one of those open fields, and I was just like, I think I want to lie down on this rock right now. Like I'm done. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> um, so that it was not successful my first attempt, but you know that's okay. We learned from mm-hmm. our our failures, um, and then. That next year in 2011, my parents lived down in North Carolina. So we were down visiting them and we, Ryan and I both ran a 50K down there. It was like a loop course, very flat, flat and sandy. Um, And that was my first 50K, my first ultra. And it remains my fastest 50K.
0: (laughs) Oh, I like that flat running. That's always awesome. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I feel like here we train on hills in Maine. I know. And it's so then true. you go to the flat area and you're like, this is wonderful. I'm so much faster right now. All right. I know. I love it.
1: Exactly. <laughs> <Right? sighs>
0: so kind of speaking of training, you you mentioned, you know, you fell in with the the trail monster runners and it sounds like they were kind of maybe acted as like your mentors to get into ultra marathons.
1: Yeah. You know, it's funny. And when I think about it, I'm like, I feel like it just that the community, they were really, you know, they were really welcoming. Everyone was doing different things. Talking about, you know, sort of what they were doing. And so I don't know that anyone in particular sort of was a mentor, but just being in that atmosphere, it sort of made it seem like, oh, you know, if they can do that and they're just normal people, you know, Mm -hmm. our friends, like we can, we could try it, we could do it too. And obviously, you know, so I'd run a few marathons, I knew I could do that. And so the jump from a marathon to 50K in terms of like necessary training isn't that different. So it's not the sort of time commitment is, I think, pretty, you know, fairly similar. So it just seemed reasonable. Like, okay, five Mm -hmm. more miles. Like, yes, it's five more miles, but I've done a marathon. I know I can do it. So I'll give it a try.
0: Would you say that probably with the, the training process for ultras, it's more of maybe the time commitment that's kind of the most difficult?
1: I think it is. I do. I, so I'll say I am... I'm a consistent runner, but I only run five days a week. I've never run more than that. I'm, you know, I'm not a high mileage runner. So I'm probably on the lower end of the time commitment myself. I've come to realize through the few training cycles that I've done for like 100 mile races that, you know, getting up to, I think I've maybe only hit 70 miles a week a few times, but even getting up into 60 miles a week, like for me, still trying to work and be at home and, you know, spend time with Sam and Ryan, just like, there's only so much time and you have to sleep, you know? (laughs) Um, So, so I'm an early morning runner. So I get up early and I try and get my runs in before work. Um, And even on the weekends, you know, I get up early and I attempt to at least get some of the run done before everybody's, you know, while everyone's asleep. So for me, that works to just ease the burden of the time commitment. Mm -hmm. But it is, as you start to think about running longer races, for sure, you know, you realize like, yeah, if you're running on trails versus roads, it just, it's going to take more time. If you have to drive to trails, you have to add that in, you know, so there certainly is an element of time commitment. That being said, I feel like you can do If you're willing to say, okay, this might take me a little longer, you can train for a 50K or a 50 mile without a ton of, you know, without too much time and too many miles. So, but it all depends on the person. I, I just, I believe in moderation. So I'm just like, okay, I can get by with running maybe most of my high mileage weeks being in like the 50 mile range, which is not that high for a lot of ultra runners, but it works for my life. And so that's what I've realized about myself is like, I want to be happy when I'm running. And so I can't always be running being like, oh my gosh, I don't have time or, oh, I'm missing this and that, you know, trying to fit it in to make it work with my life and make it be something that I, I want to enjoy it. I don't want to be like stressed about it all the time.
0: Mm, Gotcha. You know, I haven't been running very long, but I've definitely found that like the running world is just super supportive. So when you kind of first started training and telling others, maybe not necessarily telling runners about doing an ultra marathon, did you get any pushback from anybody?
1: <laughs> so you know what? Seriously, to this day, I don't advertise that I run ultras. I'll be honest. No.
0: <laughs> because
1: people are just like, wait, what? I mean, I think just most, even most runners who are just, you know running up to a marathon or like, wait, what are you talking about? Like, you're going to do that, you know? And so, you know, I don't necessarily advertise it, but you know, you do get some people who, some people are just like, wait, what are you talking about? Like, that's crazy. Um, <laughs> you know, the joke, like, I don't, you ran hundred miles. Like, I don't even want to drive that far. Um, <laughs> people seriously say that, <laughs> but, <laughs> <It's> crazy. <laughs> um, but are in terms of like, Our families, interestingly, I think because, and we're so, we recognize both Ryan and I that we're so lucky. Our parents, you know, sort of supported us in our, you know, in what we wanted to do in terms of sports. And then when even like, you know, we told them we wanted to hike the AT and they were like, you guys, I mean, I think they were scared for us because it seems like just such a crazy thing to be like out in the wilderness. Um, So when we came back from that and we were like, we're going to run ultras, they were just like, okay, like you guys are just (laughs) nuts. It's fine. (laughs) Sure. Go ahead. (laughs) 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 And I think that for all of Ryan's hundreds, his parents have been there. And for all of my hundreds and also like a 70 mile race that I did either my parents have been there and or Ryan's parents have been there or they've been home helping us by taking care of Samantha while we've been gone. So, you know, we're really lucky that we have a supportive family and yeah, definitely some people are like you're totally crazy, but like you said, the community of runners and trail monster running and all the people we've found who have become good friends through running, you know, a lot of them are doing similar things or, you know, understand the reason for it. So we have always felt like incredibly supported, you know, throughout our system, but I know not everyone's so lucky and that can make it hard for sure.
0: Mm, And it really does sound like, you know, you guys surrounded yourselves with other ultra runners. Right. Yeah. You know, joining Trail Monster, right? Yep, exactly. And so that kind of helped you to build that community or find that community, really, and, and have that support from other runners. Because otherwise, you would be talking to your other runner friends who maybe do marathons instead and who maybe are not so excited about you doing our marathons. Right. Marathon.
1: Exactly. Definitely. And we, like I said, we feel really lucky in that that a lot of the people we met back at the beginning when we ran the first trail monster race are, are still are really good have become really good friends.
0: Hmm. And so what would you say, what would you say that your biggest challenge was when you first decided to take on that first ultra marathon? So like during the training process, what was your biggest challenge?
1: I think it was figuring out it can be so different than road running that it is hard. I think to figure out like, okay, I can accept that maybe I could run nine minute miles on this Road run, and I'm going to go out, and I'm going to try and run these Rudy Rocky Bradbury Mountains State Park trails, and I'm going to be running a 12 minute mile. Like just figuring out sort of some of those differences in in pacing and understanding that walking is acceptable. Figuring out like, oh yeah, you know, I might need to actually carry water with me. You know, carry some foods or gels. Like you can't just go and not think about some of those things. You have to be a little more deliberate about just some of the process and, and taking care of yourself out there since, you know, you're training to be out there for a longer time. And I would assume the aid stations are farther and fewer between. Yes, exactly. I mean, it, again, it depends on the race, but yeah, you do have to be a little more self-sufficient. So you have to figure out what works for you because it's it can be hard to eat and drink on the run and have it, you know, you sort of have to keep, I mean, I'm still trying to figure out what works. I'll be like, oh, this is great. It's totally worked in training. I'll bring a bunch of it to the race and be like, no, no, ooh, gross. (laughs) I don't want that.
0: (laughs) What about like, so for me, it's like Finding porta potties along the marathon route. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'm assuming there's not as many of those for an ultra.
1: No, and so interestingly, I will tell you, I ran my second hundred mile race was the Pinhoti 100, which is out in Alabama, and it ran along this Pinhodi Trail for a long stretch. There were no porta potties at any of the aid stations really now what? you know in a lot of races you might not have them at all aid stations because some of them are just remote and they can't get them out there so but to not have any at any of them it was like oh my goodness you're so you know you carry your toilet paper oh my. and you go off the trail and you just like all right this is what i have to do right um then again i guess you were used to that from the at from hiking i know AT. it's true yes mm-hmm. Yes. Although, you know, they're most of the shelters, they all have outhouses and they're, mm-hmm. you know, they're basically spaced reasonably apart. So, um, but yes, you just have to be like, all right, I got to carry my own toilet paper and, you know, go <laughs> off the trail and spend a little time. So. Right. <laughs> the good thing about porta potties at trail races and ultras is that usually there aren't lines. So, oh, you know, terrible. that helps. <laughs> <laughs> that is a plus.
0: What would you say, so like your very first ultra, what was that like? Was there like that holy crap moment of I'm really doing this? Or were you just like, no fear, you're just ready to
1: go? I So at Pineland, so the attempt, I was scared out of my mind. I really was. But the great thing about Pineland, even though it doesn't exist in its the same form anymore, is that we knew people. There were always a lot of trail monsters who ran the race and and people we knew. So there was like a big support system. I remember I, so maybe this is TMI, but I'll tell you anyways you can decide if you want to cut it or not. So I was nursing Sam mm-hmm. so before the race so there's that big field and you know you're starting sort of out in the open mm-hmm. and I was like I need to pump before I start here and there was no cover anywhere. And so one of our guy friends he was super cute. He was like, "Okay, Danielle, I'm going to find you a spot." And he like went up to, you know, one of the people in charge and was like, "I'm taking this chair and I'm going to stand here with this towel." So she can pump before the race. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Which was really cute, you know? Um, so that was like a specific nervousness, you know, as a new mom, you know, to be like, oh my gosh, I need to like, you know, make sure I'm not gonna be crazy out there having, you know, if I had finished, it would have probably been like six hours or something, you know? Yeah. So, but yeah, I was really nervous. I didn't, you know, I hoped I could do it, but you know, then in the end it didn't work out. So it was very, it was very sad when I realized I had to take like the little golf cart back to the start. And I had to admit, like, I didn't, I didn't finish, you know, like I didn't do this thing that I set out to do. Um, Do you feel like that made you want it more
0: when you did the next one? I
1: think in a way, yes. I mean, you know, then you sit on it and you're like, okay, I'm sad. That sucked. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, all right, well, what can I do better? How can I figure out a way to, you know, to make it happen? So I do definitely think in a lot of ways you learn from things like that. And from like when a race goes bad, but you push through, like you learn more from that like in life, you know. Yeah. Then you might from when things go perfectly. So, yeah, it did definitely give me extra impetus to want to get back out there next year and and finish a 50k. I actually never I ever go back. I don't think I ever went back and finished Pineland. I just sort of moved on from that race, but but yeah, like I said, the next spring I did finish a 50k. That's awesome. Yeah. Then I was on my way Yep, that's right. You're like, "Okay, I can do this now." <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> and actually, I I hear that you competed in a pretty major ultra marathon race last year.
1: Yes. I was very lucky to r- be able to have the chance to run Western States 100, which is the oldest ultra in the US that's out awesome. in California. It's really hard to get into. So, basically what you have to do is you have to run a qualifying race and then these days, I think when it started, and maybe even as little as 10 years ago, this probably wasn't the case. But now ultras have just gained so much more popularity, still a very niche thing. But, you know, within the the running world, um, gain more popularity. And so therefore, you know, Western states has gained more popularity. So you have to run a qualifier, you have to submit your qualifier. And the first year you get one ticket for your one qualifying race, and they hold the lottery and they only have like 300 some odd spots. And so I didn't get in the first year, which it would have been, you know, a miracle to get in with just one ticket. But then I ran another qualifier the next year. And so as you build, like if you continue running qualifiers, you know, in subsequent years, you your ticket count count goes up. So I managed to get in having only run two one you know two hundred mile races and which I had I think like a three percent chance of actually getting in. And we were actually at one of Samantha's swim meets. She's a swimmer and we were sitting there and I was sort of watching the lottery, you know, on my phone like live, quote unquote, you know, sort of as they do it in person actually and then they, you know, publish the results as they go online. And so I was sort of I had that on, but I was also watching her events. And then all of a sudden, it was like Ryan's phone was just going crazy. Like, and we were like, wait, what? He's like, what's going on? He was like, you got in, you got in. Um,
0: (laughs) That's awesome.
1: Yeah, so it was pretty, pretty incredible to have that chance because it's one of those races where if you really are into ultra running, or you're into the ultra world, and like, you know, you have like these, you know, crazy good runners who you might follow. You know, Western States is like in all these movies and, you know, it's a huge deal and like the, you know, the top runners from around the world come to run this race. And so, here I was having the chance to to be able to do it. So, yeah. So it was pretty pretty incredible. So we it's the 4th Saturday in June. Every year, although not this past year, unfortunately, because of COVID. But it was last June and we flew out um, and my parents flew out and Ryan's parents flew out. And we had we have two college friends who live in the area. One of them came up to act as crew with Ryan and one of them came up to to pace me in the first the first stretch where you can have a pacer. So a lot of times in these longer races, typically a hundred mile races, maybe shorter races, but, you know, typically hundred mile races at a certain point along the route, depending on the race itself, you can pick up what's called a pacer. So someone basically, I almost want to say they're like a safety runner. Yeah. So in Western States, you can pick someone up at 62 miles. Um, And so my friend James and his wife came out and he... He ran with me for, oh, geez, I think maybe 12 miles or so. And then Ryan ran the rest of the way with me. But it's, you know, at that point at 62 miles, it was dark. And I'd already been out there for, oh, God, you know, like a long time. (laughs) I don't know, 16 hours or something crazy like that, you know. Um, And so I could have, obviously, you can do it without a pacer. But as you're out there for longer and in the dark, like you just you sort of start to lose, I think, a little bit of sense of reality, you know, and it's dark and you're like, wait a second, I maybe I'm, you know, you're not eating and drinking as much because you've been out there a long time. And so you just I've never had, I know a lot of people have like hallucinations and things as they get into these big long races. And I've never had that, but I do feel like you just sort of you're like in some other little world, you know, your own little tunnel vision. So having someone there to be like, okay. Let's make sure we're on course and sort of remind you, like, have you been eating? Are you drinking? You know, um, is a good thing. So but anyways, yes, that was Western States was an amazing experience to be out there. And like we did the packet pickup and everything the day before. And just, I mean it was crazy. Some of these runners that I follow on social media, you know, who are really good, who could be in the top 10. were just there, just like the rest of us, you know, picking up their packets and mulling around and you fangirl a little bit. (laughs) I didn't actually go up to anybody. I'm a total, I'm a total, you know, I'm pretty shy, but so I did not. Um, although in the middle of the race, so at, Oh geez, what mile was it? It was pretty late in the race, maybe in the 80s or something. It had already gotten light again. So I'd already been running for 24 hours and I was with Ryan and we got into one of these later aid stations. Maybe it was 92, mile 92 or something. And we got down, we came down this hill and into this aid station and Hal Kerner, who I would say he's like maybe a little older generation ultra runner, but he's super cute. He has like a big smile and he was there. Like it was his club that was manning the aid station. So he had, we assume like been there for the front runners and just stayed through the night and was still there for like, basically I was, I was, you know, the front of the back of the pack. Like my intent for the race wasn't all I wanted to do was just finish and experience it. So Ryan was like, Hal, can Danielle take a picture with you? So there I am. Like, I'm totally gross. I'm sweaty. I've, you know, been up all night and, and we did get a picture together. So that was my fangirl moment during the race.
0: <laughs> nice. That's really cool. Something you said a minute ago was you weren't running to win the race. You were running to finish. And so do you find that even before ultras, did you do that with marathons as well?
1: I will say I do have a competitive streak, but it's really with myself. Mm -hmm. So I would say I was probably a fairly, you know, in high school and college, I was mediocre. You know, I wasn't great. I wasn't winning things. Heck, until senior year in college, I was running the short stuff. I ran the hurdles. I ran like the sprints, which was fun, but really not probably what I was best at. So, but to me, it was just about being part of the team and having the chance to be out there. And I feel like that sort of has continued that to me, it's really about mostly just being out there and seeing what I can do and just like exploring the limits, seeing new spaces, places, you know, just being out in nature. Like that's what I love the most. I will say in my first hundred, so this was a, there's a group down in Massachusetts called Trail Animal Running Club, TARC. Um, and they put on a lot of different races during the year. And they're a great group. So they put on 100 down at Hale Reservation, which is outside of Boston. This great little, you know, sort of preserved area. So that was my first 100. And there were not a lot of women. Mm. And and then a lot of people, as happens in some of these longer races, people drop out. So it turns out there were only four women that finished and in the last like three miles I was basically leapfrogging with a woman who it turns out ended up being in second and I was like oh my god like I I passed her and then she was coming up behind me and I was like our friend Val was running with us at the time and running with me at the time is pacing me and I was like Val all right, I have to pee. But anyways, I don't want her on my tail. Like this is just stressing me out too much. Like that's, you know, not my purpose is not to like race these last few miles. Like I just need to like, let her go and give her my own space and be in my own head and not be stressed about placement. You know, I just want to do my own thing, you know? And then after the fact, I was sort of kicking myself like, oh darn, you probably could have kept it up and you could have gotten second instead of third. Not that like, it was a huge deal like, like I said, with the placement, cause only four of us finished, um, for women anyways, but I am competitive, but that's not really, that's not why I do these long things. So, and Western States in particular, I knew coming from Maine, it being like a late June race. Like I, I didn't have a ton of, I didn't get up to altitude. I didn't do a ton of big mountain training. Um, So I knew it was going to be tough for me from that standpoint. Like you don't get super high, but high enough into the mountains and there was snow up there and there were, you know, then you drop into like these hot canyons. And so it was just so out of the realm of anything I had ever run that, you know, my whole goal going in was just like, just to enjoy it and just get to the finish line. I didn't really care about the pace. It didn't matter as long as I finished before 30 hours. So I got an official finish. Like that was, you know, all I wanted. I just, you know, I was pretty far back for probably most of the race, just, you know, because that was what ended up being comfortable to me. And just because I wanted to stop for a picture with Hal and I stopped and ate blackberries. Brian thinks I'm crazy, you know, at mile <laughs> ninety-three or something. But you know, it was just to have fun with it, just to enjoy the experience.
0: Do you feel like you have any habits that you feel have really helped you to like stick with long distance running?
1: So I think it's all about consistency and just getting out the door. Like I said, I don't run every day. I take days off, but to me it's like, all right, I know unless I'm injured which knock on what I'm not. And I don't, I'm not very often just like if you can get yourself out the door and just do some miles. It doesn't have to be a ton. Then you're just more likely to keep up with that. And also I think for me, some of it is just, I don't do a lot of speed work. I don't do hill workouts. I don't have a coach. I just sort of do my own thing. I just want to enjoy it. And so like Ryan says to me, you're totally uncoachable because he does some, co- he does coaching work and he's like, I'm not coaching you. You're terrible. <laughs> but he's like, but as long as you're happy out there, like you do your stuff, you know, you get your miles in, like, I'm not doing any workouts. I'm not doing anything structured, but you know, just getting out there and enjoying nature, picking berries, looking at what's around me. And that, to me, that helps me have a reason to keep continuing, you know, to get out there every day.
0: Hmm. Do you have any favorite piece of gear, like running gear that you like? It doesn't necessarily have to be for ultras.
1: I, so I do use um, one of the Ultimate Direction packs. I think it's an old Adventure Vesta. That I like. So I use a bladder Mm. versus like the bottles in the front. Mm -hmm. But I love that pack. It's super comfortable. And then I always have to apply squirrel nut butter so that I don't chafe. (laughs) Yeah. 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 That
0: is very important. (laughs) Definitely.
1: But other than that, I'm pretty um, I sort of just go with like the shorts and the shirts that are comfortable. Um, I've switched to brands multiple times. So I'm not super tied to things I've gone through like. Garmin watch to Sunto to now I have a Koro. So I'm not tied to to too much, just whatever's comfortable. Um, But I do like my pack. I would definitely recommend the Ultimate Direction stuff.
0: Okay. Yeah. I'll find that online and drop a link for it in the show notes. What do you think that you would have missed out on had you not gotten into
1: running ultras? Oh man, I would have missed out on so much. I mean, like I said, we have found so many friends through Trail Monster Running and through our ultra running experiences You know, even people who we've met at some of the TARC races down in Massachusetts, who, you know, as as we've gone to multiple races through the years, we've gotten to know and, you know, enjoy seeing at races and things. And I think I would mostly have missed out on that awesome community and the friends. I also think it's a great way. I realize you can see places other ways, but to me sort of just immersing yourself in a big stretch of woods is pretty awesome. It's brought us to some different places. We went to Alabama. I mean, that's, to me, that's very (laughs) random. But the Pinhoti Trail was gorgeous. It was so beautiful. I would never have expected it. It was really pretty. And then, you know, Western States was amazing to like go up to Squaw Valley and, you know, up into those mountains where there was still snow in June and just the West is amazing. And Mm. so it's definitely brought us to some neat places, but mostly I think it's the people for sure.
0: What advice would you give to our listeners who are interested in getting into running just in general or who are thinking of stepping up their running game to maybe the next
1: mileage level? Again, I think I would go back to just get out there, you know, be consistent. You don't have to go far. You don't have to go fast. Just get out there and enjoy it. I think also for a lot of people, finding a group to run with can be really useful. I, Trail Monster Running in particular does a lot of group runs like on Saturdays and Sundays, um, which is really nice. You don't have to be a member to come, you know, enjoy the run. And I think that that often is like a really nice way to, you know, figure out some places to run, you know, just have a chance to figure out like, what the community is all about and have a good social way to get into the sport, which I think is a nice aspect. You can, obviously you can run alone. I do probably the vast majority of my running is solo running, but it is really nice to, you know, to have a group, have someone who knows the trails guide you around, you know, that sort of thing. So, you know, if there is a group near you, I think that, can definitely be a worthwhile exploration and yeah I think just getting out there you know don't be scared like I know it ultra sounds intimidating but like mm-hmm. I said the jump from a marathon to a 50k it's not that big and then there's no you don't have to rush like you don't have to be like I have to do just oh I did a 50k I have to do a 50 I have to do 100k I have to do 100 do whatever you want. Like some people, they don't want to run a hundred. It's too much. They're not interested in running that slow. They'd rather run, you know, the 50 Ks where they can push more. Some people don't like the shorter stuff and they, you know, want to be out forever. And, you know, I think it's just like finding what works for you and not feeling like you have to do go a certain path.
0: Mm, gotcha. And where can people find you online or work? If you have a race coming up, where can we support you in your next race?
1: Yeah, I just, so I, I, t- I was signed up for 100 for this year um, out in Tennessee called No Business 100, which I was really excited about because it's like it was like a big 100 mile loop. So not an out and back, not, you know, multiple loops, just like one huge loop. So I was excited to see like a new area of the country. Um, But anyways, I just they are still holding the race. Interestingly, because I know a lot of races have canceled, but I did defer to next year just from tra- the travel standpoint. So, so I have something on the 2021 calendar, which is sort of exciting. Um, yeah. But anyways, in any event, so I'm on Instagram. I'm Sparkplug ato five. So Sparkplug was my my trail name while we were on the at, and then ato five ah. was you know Appalachian Trail 2005, and. Where can people find Trail Monster? Yes, yeah, so definitely. So Trail Monster Running, you can find it on Facebook. You can find it on Instagram, the website, trailmonsterrunning.org. And so even though there, even though there aren't, normally there would be the Dirt Series, the um, Trail Series 6, 9, 12 mile races this, this time of year. So they're doing them virtually now. But registration is open for the Big Brad Ultras, which is our 50K and 50 miler in October at Bradbury State Park. Hmm. That's a fun one. I run the 50K there. It's a fun course. Lots of good volunteers. Are the snowshoe races, is that
0: also through Turle Monster? Yes,
1: exactly. So that is. um, So usually like a three, four, and a five mile race at Bradbury. January you know one in January one in February one in March so that's another fun series to get people mm-hmm. outside in the winter time and I assume that we'll probably be doing it again this winter I know it winter's tough it's gotten more variable these days yeah but, um you know so far we've managed to pull all the races off um, and not have to cancel or reschedule and things so we've been very very lucky in that regard but yeah that's another that's another fun fun event
0: mm-hmm and that one's called the the badass.
1: Yes, if you run right, if you run all three, exactly mm-hmm. right, and
0: then you get a yeah, cool piece of swag that says you're a badass. It, I have I've I've done two, the the races uh, two years in a row now, and every year something comes up on one of the days oh, of the races, and I'm like, dang it! I so know. maybe this year,
1: definitely this is my year. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, it is fun. It's a it's an honor to, you know, get one of those pieces that say badass because it is pretty yeah. cool, you know? A lot it of fun. is pretty cool. Yep. And honestly, like, again, the
0: running community is just really cool. That snowshoe running community, like, it's just so fun. Yes. Like, people are very open and you kind of hang out afterwards and there's raffles afterwards. And exactly. uh, that is just a really, really fun race. And even if you don't have snowshoes, you can rent snowshoes yes. for that
1: day. There's not links to it yet, I'm assuming. There's not links to it yet. But yeah, if you just link to trailmonsterrunning.org, it has um, the details on all the different races that we put on. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Definitely.
0: Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming oh. on today, Danielle. Well,
1: thanks for having me. It was fun to chat.
0: This makes me want to go out and do a run. Maybe not
1: right now. It's too <laughs> hot, but maybe later. <laughs> I know. It is warm right now, but yes, definitely. Yeah. And like I said, don't count yourself out. If you want to do an ultra, you just you know, the trick is finding one that like fits with your schedule in terms of timing and like one that you feel like you can complete within the, you know, the time constraints and stuff. There's always something out there. You know, there's so many different options now.
0: Yeah. Maybe I should pick one from like two years from now. And sign go. up for it. Yes. Like, Okay. I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> well, thanks again for coming on.
1: You're welcome. It was good to talk to you. Thanks so much.
0: It was really great hearing what Danielle's experience was like going from running the more socially acceptable marathons to getting into ultras. As you heard, she attributed her success in running ultras to surrounding herself with a running community of people who also run ultras, but connecting with trail monster running. And something I really wanted to point out is that this is actually the third or fourth guest that I've had on the show who has mentioned the importance of having a supportive network of people who are interested in the same thing as you are. It definitely aligns with Jim Rohn's quote, that you are the average of the five people you surround yourself with. Now, this doesn't mean you have to drop your friends or stop hanging around people who aren't into the same sport, hobby, or career as you, but it does mean ensuring that you don't continually hear negative things about your chosen path. And this doesn't just apply to athletic endeavors. It really applies to anything new that you're trying. Sometimes our friends and family can be those negative Nancy's or naysayers, even if they don't mean to be, mostly because they don't understand why we're striving for a specific goal. And rather than continue to try to explain it to them, it could honestly be a lot healthier for you to connect with people who are into a similar goal as you. I look at being an independent author as an example. If I had continued to only talk to friends, family, or traditionally published authors, then I might have given up on being a self-published author. My friends and family didn't necessarily understand it, or like many traditionally published authors, didn't view being an independent author as being a quote-unquote real author. They felt that the only way to be considered a real author is if one made it past the gatekeepers in the publishing world to get a traditional deal with one of the big publishing houses. And, you know, I honestly did try sending out my first book to agents for about two to three months before I realized that going the traditional route could take years to get my books published. And if I did connect with an agent, it didn't guarantee a published book, but did guarantee that I would lose most of the control of my books if I signed a traditional publishing deal for any of those books. So I stopped sending my books out to potential agents and And instead, I've surrounded myself with other independent authors by joining the Alliance of Independent Authors, reading informational articles about self-publishing, and listening to podcasts on becoming a successful independent author. When conferences start back up, I do plan to attend several of those to meet some of these indie authors in person who I've met online. So I think that that will be really helpful to sort of build my personal community of indie authors and surround myself with other people who actually understand what my dream is. The other thing that Danielle said, which I found really important, is that you should run at your own pace. It doesn't matter if it's the first mile you've ever attempted or your first 5K or a marathon or an ultra. Trying to keep up with faster runners simply because it's what you think you should be doing is a fast way to fail at your running goal. Before I got into running, I definitely tried running with friends and family members on different occasions and I absolutely hated it. It sucked a lot. Um, I'd try it once and then I would immediately quit and not want to try it again. And the reason was because I was trying to keep up with those other people. See, they'd already found their pace. And rather than trying to find my own pace, I felt that I had to match their pace to be considered a real runner. And that meant that I failed every time because I just ran at a slower pace. It wasn't until I told my husband that I wanted to get into running that I actually learned what I was doing wrong. Now, my husband Jason, he's a pretty fast runner, and at least in my opinion he is. Um, but he never tried to make me run with him. Instead, he suggested that I run by myself to find my pace. You know, to figure out like at what speed could I keep running without running out of steam or getting a stitch in my side? At what pace could I run a mile without having to stop and walk? With the help of his coaching, I was able to run a 5K. Did I win the 5K? Absolutely not. I'm a pretty slow runner. My pace averages anywhere between 12 and 14 minute miles. So pretty slow. So unless I specifically set out to become a faster runner, then I'm not going to be winning any medals. But I'm not running to win, right? I run for physical and mental health. By running at my own pace, I've been able to find this really great state of flow where I can enjoy my surroundings, mull over problems, or just lose myself while I'm paying attention to the things that I'm running past. Like Danielle mentioned, there's absolutely something amazing about just immersing yourself in the woods by running trails. Some of my favorite moments are actually of going for a 13 or 14 mile run by myself in the main woods when I trained for the Hawaii Marathon. And i just found myself out in the middle of of the trails in the middle of nowhere, by myself, just really enjoying my surroundings and the actual act of running itself. By finding my own pace, I've really fallen in love with running, which is something that I never thought could happen. And on a side note, I am definitely noticing a theme of needing to feel like a quote-unquote real runner or a quote-unquote real writer, right? So there will definitely be a solo episode in the future on imposter syndrome, which is always a fun topic. All right, you awesome listeners, that is all I've got for today. If you've enjoyed today's show, let me know by leaving a review or subscribing. Join me next week when I interview rock climber and business owner Jen Lloyd to hear how she got into rock climbing and how that eventually led her to build a business sewing cloth chalk bags for fellow rock climbers. Until then, listeners, go find out. Thanks for listening to the show today. I hope you found the information beneficial and that it helps you tackle your own go find out goals. You can find more episodes and the show transcripts at gofindoutpodcast.com. You can also let me know what you thought of the show by tweeting me at GFO podcast or follow me on Instagram at go find out podcast. That's it for today. Now go find out.